Good morning, welcome to this assembly, and I'm going to take us to the Gospel of John, chapter 1. John, chapter 1. John affirms the truth about who Jesus Christ is. And what he affirms in this passage is followed by the evidence that the Word became flesh, and while the law came through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. This sermon is another installment of this year's series on the grace of God. John 1, 1 through 18. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his people did not receive him, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because he was before me. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. The plan of God for the redemption of man is a divine construct that exhibits justice, love, and grace in harmony that came to completion through Jesus Christ. I want to repeat that. The plan of God for the redemption of man is a divine construct that exhibits justice, love, and grace in harmony that came to completion through Jesus Christ. 
The prophets and kings of the Old Testament were active under the supervision of God's providence. The patriarchs, the Jewish nation, the Levitical priests, the law of Moses, those were all steps moving toward the fullness of the times. Notice in verse 17, the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. I want us to reflect on the grace of God as fulfilled through the person and work of Jesus Christ. And I want to make these points. I've borrowed the wording of these points from Max Lucado. Then I have supplied content from Scripture. Grace and truth came through Christ. Grace is offered based on His offering. Grace is offered based on His offering. Salvation by grace needs to be considered as an offer. Sinners hear about that offer of grace based on the death of Christ and they can respond to it or they can not respond to it. The offer to be saved is based on Jesus' offering of himself. I'm going to read from Hebrews chapter 9, verses 11 through 14. The inspired writer is laboring to get the truth into the hearts of his readers. That Moses and the law came to its intended termination on the cross with the ultimate final sacrifice of Jesus. Hebrews 9, 11-14 But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is not of this creation, he entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living and true God see the law came through Moses but grace and truth came through Christ Christ ushered in what can be called the good things to come what the old covenant pointed to he brought so today, no more animal sacrifices. The offering for sin is now final on the cross. The final offering that secures for obedient believers eternal redemption. This is about Jesus' death on the cross. It says here, by means of his own blood. 
what was pictured and anticipated in those animal sacrifices was the summit of God's eternal plan when Jesus, who was without blemish, offered himself so that we can be redeemed out of sin and have a pure conscience and serve the living God. Where does grace enter into this truth? We have done nothing to deserve such consideration. We could never buy this, merit this, deserve this. So look with me now back in Hebrews 2 and verse 9 for more on the grace connection. Hebrews 2 and verse 9. But we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God he might taste of death for everyone. When a sinner hears the gospel, confesses faith in Christ with repentance and baptism, that response is possible and is valuable and finds its power in the life that Jesus offered on the cross. Grace is offered based on his suffering, his offering. Grace works because he worked. There is a popular misconception about grace that where there is grace, there can be no work. It has trended in denominational creeds since the time of John Calvin and Martin Luther so many years ago. Where grace is, no work. The problem is Calvin and Luther were not inspired writers. On the part of God, Jesus... And those who are children of God and followers of Jesus, grace never rules out work, activity, or choice. I take you now to John 14, 12. Jesus says to his disciples, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works of that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I'm going to the Father. Question, did the disciples Jesus was talking to do anything? Was there work they did? Was there obedience they offered to God? Living in the grace of God, being a disciple of Christ, should mean to us what it meant to Jesus doing the will of God. Not out of any sense of boast or merit, but in a sense of reverent response to God who gave His Son on the cross. It was a great life of service to God that we see in Jesus and His disciples. Jesus was active. He worked and lived in such a manner before God. He not only exhibits how grace works, He enables us to be active recipients of God's grace. Jesus who had no sin, the one who had merit, illustrated how grace 
prompts activity in response to God. There is nothing about grace that cancels works of righteousness. Grace works because he worked. Jesus gave himself for us, and that was work that he did. And we, in response to that, are to give ourselves to him with every good work. Not out of a sense of boasting or merit, but a response to the grace of God that came to fruition on the cross. Nothing about grace should ever lead to inactivity or any theological doctrine that dismisses works of obedience. Now for the sake of clarity, and perhaps I've already given a signal to this, there is a kind of work that is excluded, works of merit. Self-righteous claims that God owes me salvation. Look at what I've done. See, the cross is not in that. God owes me because look at my performance. The cross is not in that boast. That mentality, that boasting, and that concept of merit is excluded by Paul in Ephesians 2 verse 8 and Titus 3 in Romans chapter 4. If you take the commandments of God as a list of rules apart from relationship with God and the cross. You keep the rules and claim God owes you because you kept the rules. That's not the plan of salvation. The plan of salvation is centered in the grace of God that gave expression to what happened on the cross. Legitimate obedience and works have their foundation in conscious reality that God gave his son, his son offered himself, his son illustrated works of obedience to God. Grace works because Jesus worked. And then grace matters because he matters. Again to the book of Hebrews chapter 3 Hebrews chapter 3 1 to 6 there's so much in the book of Hebrews that gives such clarity to the difference between the old covenant and the new covenant the difference between what God gave through Moses and the fullness of grace and truth that came through Christ here is one such passage therefore holy brothers you who share in a heavenly calling Consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession, who was faithful to him who appointed him, just as Moses also was faithful in all God's house. For Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, as much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were to be spoken later. But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son, and we are his house if indeed 
we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope. The writer is saying to his readers who had been attached to the old covenant and to Moses, here's who matters now. Moses is not really some sort of victim of an argument here, nor is his legacy dismissed. But there is Jesus who is counted worthy of more glory than Moses, as much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. Again, this isn't written to make Moses a victim, nor to dismiss the valuable place that he occupied in God's history with his nation. But remember that verse I used in the introduction to this sermon. The law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Grace matters because Jesus matters. I want to bring this to a conclusion in Titus chapter 2. The Apostle Paul writing to Titus in Titus chapter 2, verses 11 through 15. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who were zealous for good works. Declare these things. Exhort and rebuke with all authority let no one disregard you. See, the grace of God not only saves us, it trains us to do something, to live a certain way. The grace of God not only saves us, it trains us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. When we live this way, verse 14 says, we will be zealous of good works. Not works of merit where we claim God owes us. No, works of response to the grace of God. Jesus came to pay a debt he didn't owe because we owed a debt we couldn't pay. When you look at all this in good biblical perspective and balance, God doesn't endorse sin, overlook sin, or give us permission to sin. He gives us a way to be forgiven and be right through Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ says over and over again, Come unto me. Now if you're here this morning, 
and you recognize that God is above all. The Bible is His Word. Christ is the Son of God. Sin is the problem. Christ is the solution. What did the Apostle say that you need to do? Hearing this message, believe in Christ, confessing your faith in Him, repent and be baptized, and live faithfully all of your life, depending on the grace of God as it was expressed supremely on the cross of Jesus Christ. If you need to respond, we invite that response as we stand to sing.